Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that reimagines what society considers normal. Each week, I interview different guests about the topics they're most passionate about. And as we are now in week two of this COVID-19 pandemic, week two of being quarantined inside with no end in sight, as New York City seems to be getting worse and worse every day, there is now reports that the United States is supposed to be the epicenter of the pandemic, with New York being the hardest hit state and New York City specifically being extremely hard hit. So it doesn't look like there's going to be any end in sight anytime soon. So I hope everybody is doing their best to stay sane while indoors. And I hope everybody's been able to stay productive. Um, this week for my monologue, I wanted to shout out some organizations that are doing a lot of good help and that are providing a lot of relief during this time. So obviously everybody's indoors and where do we turn to when we are indoors? The arts. Everybody's watching documentaries. Everybody's inside doing art. Everybody's listening to music, whatever you're doing. Right now is a time where artists should be celebrated the most because of all of the work that they've done to put out work that is just entertaining us. So. First, I want to do a special shout out to Spotify. Spotify seems to be killing it right now. So this from The Hill, Spotify is to donate up to $10 million for coronavirus relief. It said that it will donate $10 million to aid coronavirus relief efforts for the music community in specific. The company announced that it would match up to that in total and donations on a fundraising page set up on its website that benefits Music Cares a charity relief organization set up by the Recording Academy. Spotify is making a donation to these organizations and will match donations made via the Spotify COVID-19 music relief page dollar for dollar up to a total of $10 million, the company said. They are also working diligently to launch a feature that will enable artists to fundraise directly from fans during the challenging time. Soon, we'll give artists the ability to drive listeners to a fundraising destination of their choice on their Spotify artist profiles page. So this is amazing. Thank you to Spotify. Um, obviously, this is a time where everybody's listening to music. Everybody's just trying to relax, trying to do whatever we can. And this is really, really special because the music community, the artist community in general, of course, is being hit right now. A lot of those artists depend on, you know, doing shows to, to make most of their money. But you can't be doing any shows right now. So even with all of the virtual shows that are going online, it still will never replace like the in-person experience and how much of their revenue really came from doing shows, doing art galleries and things like that, which is why it's so important that Spotify is doing this. So they must know, you know, right now is a big time for, for music companies to be stepping up. So thank you to Spotify for doing that. You know, um, make sure to also another way that, that artists make most of their money is donations. And who the hell can donate right now with so much fucking uncertainty? It's just like if you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from and you don't know when you're going to go back to work, you're you're obviously not going to donate. And I don't hold anybody responsible for that. Like if you don't know where your money's going to be coming from, you can't just be giving it out. And no matter how much you love art, no matter how much you want to support, you always got to take care of you and your family first. So I get it. So shout out to Spotify for what they're doing here and other organizations that are doing a big help. I'm going to I'm going to put all these links in the bottom. But shout out to the Seattle Artist Relief Fund amid COVID-19. It is set up by Ijoima Alu and three others. I definitely butchered that name. I'm sorry, but I'm going to leave the link for that uh GoFundMe page. 
It says the Seattle arts community has held and nurtured me for years. Those of us in the arts community and those of us who are close to the arts community know the financial pressures that have long been increasing for those in the arts, especially for artists of color. Seattle has been hit super hard. I think it was the hardest hit at the time that they were making this. So this is a GoFundMe page directly for Seattle artists. They've raised over $250,000. Like I said, make sure to support our artists because this is a time where we celebrate artists and where we say thank you to them for everything that, they, that they've done. Because we need to be entertained. If not, we go fucking crazy in, in, in our houses. So thank you to the artists. I'm going to leave those links down there. And thank you to those individuals. I butchered that name, but thank you to those individuals who started this this relief uh, campaign. Yeah, I mean, this is a crazy time. It doesn't seem like it's going to be ending anytime soon. I watched Tiger King recently. Tiger King is an amazing documentary on Netflix. I highly recommend you go watch that. It stars Joe Exotic, a crazy motherfucker from Oklahoma who uh, has a private zoo. Tiger King is crazy, and all I gotta say is go watch that, and Carol Baskin definitely murdered her husband and fed him to the tigers. Um, really, really crazy stuff. I don't want to spoil more. I already gave up some uh, some juicy stuff there, but definitely go watch Tiger King on Netflix. It's a fantastic documentary, aside from just an entertaining story. They really, really filmed that extremely well, and like it's, it's seeing tigers just beautifully, beautifully well-documented amazing production on that so go watch tiger king on netflix and yeah it's crazy crazy time right now but i love doing these monologues i love speaking about what's going on and i hope everybody takes my words and you know uses them to go go help donate go help support musicians artists however you can and everybody stay safe so let's get to the episode This week, I had the opportunity to interview Sue Bowles, a speaker, survivor, and the author of the book, This Much I Know, The Space Between. Sue was brave enough to open up and speak about her struggles with an eating disorder, as well as the traumatic sexual assault that happened when she was only in first grade. Thank you so much to Sue for coming on the show and discussing her experience. Also, thank you for the work she does to connect with other survivors of sexual assault and eating disorders. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Without further ado, my name is Xavier Diaz, and you're now listening to A Pretty Normal Podcast. And I have an emotional reaction here. I never say forgive me for crying. I say, please understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, this feelings are real. Yes. As I, as I have understood the pain my parents went through, it, un, it helps me understand why my dad turned to alcoholism, why you know, there were things that happened, uh, why my mom, um, you know, is... It, was was struggling with people's perception of the family. It helped me understand those things. It doesn't make it right, but it helped me understand. And I think when we can understand what it, what <clears throat> what is affecting and influencing someone else, it helps them helps us then understand that trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. So when I understand it, my dad in the critical years of being a teenager was in an orphanage. And when my mom and dad lost their firstborn son a few years into their marriage, they were grieving. And it wasn't until probably 10 or 15 years after Rusty's death that my dad finally said, I think I finally let go of Rusty. I understand now. And it makes me love them even more because they are warriors. 
You're listening to a Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought-provoking moments that make up our lives. My name's Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. I am here with Sue Bowles. You are a speaker, author, and survivor. You wrote the book, This Much I Know, The Space Between. Is that correct? Correct. Nice. So how are you, Sue? How's everything going? Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for uh, showing interest in coming on and for sharing your story. And I just wanted to get to know you a little bit more. I know you're, you started writing your book in 2015. When did that release? That released in uh, September 2019, just last year. So it's been out oh. on Amazon and Kindle a few months now. I, I started writing the book in 2015 and it, took, it was going to have one, one specific form. It's going to be more of like a Christian devotional. And then as things started happening in my life, it took on a different form and became basically a chance to share my story to encourage others. So it, it took a lot to to write it. I also had to go through a lot to be able to write it, but it's, it's a fantastic feeling being on the other side and now having opportunities to, to encourage others who are dealing with different mental health issues. Amazing. And, and let's start with the title. Why did you choose the title? This much I know the space between. Uh, it's, it, it's a two part thing. This much I know is my story. And all of us know our story. That's the one thing we know that's the one thing that no one can take from us. So this much I know is my story. The space between defines my story because the, the, the concept of the book is the journey between hurts and working, doing all the hard work to find healing. And it's that space between the way I describe it on the book, on the back of the book, it says, when we're talking about our stories, the space between is that gap, that time of questioning and anger and confusion and doubt and whatever else you can think of. It's the great area of uncertainty, of wondering what the point is. I think we all wonder when stuff come, happens to us, you know, what's the point of this? Why this happen? How is anything good gonna come of it? And I had that question for decades in my life. So the book is talking about that journey of having those questions, experiencing different things, having those questions and then working through to understanding the reasoning behind it all. Mm. And and what is your story? What what are some of the things that you've dealt with in your life that you speak wow. about in the book? Well, thanks for sharing and thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want, I want to say this first of all, that your listeners, some of the things I'm about to share are pretty heavy topics. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to trigger anybody. <clears throat> and if I say something or you hear the conversation going somewhere where it's it's too close to home for you, um, feel free to take some self-care time and come back mm-hmm. to it when you're ready because I never want to trigger anybody because everyone's at a different point. Mm-hmm. Having said that, <clears throat> having said that, um, the first thing that happened to me when I was seven years old was I was raped by a classmate in first grade and it was my 15-year secret. I didn't tell anyone to my senior year of college. You can imagine what that's like uh, and only imagine because I didn't even know until it came out you know, that it was ready to come out. Mm-hmm. As, as I wrote the book, I learned a lot about myself and started realizing a lot of things that happened to me or the way I behaved in high school and college end up being tied to that event. And it started making more sense. I started understanding myself more. 
mm-hmm. that helped me not blame myself as much. But there was that. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. There was dysfunction. My folks divorced in 1991 after 34 years of marriage. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> goodness, I'm sorry. There was other uh, sexual abuse from some neighborhood kids and some kids in high school. There was, I developed an eating disorder in college. You know, I've been depressed. I was suicidal twice. I was cutting at one point in time. So it's been a wide range of things. Um, and yet, if you had told, told me five years ago that I'd have a book out, that I'd be doing multiple podcasts, and that I'd be speaking at conferences and on campuses, sharing my story, I would have laughed you all the way to the corner. And yet, mm. now, now it makes sense because um, one of my websites is called My Step Ahead. It's mystepahead.com. And the whole premise of everything I do with the book, with the website, is that you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I speak about is that we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to arrive before we can feel like we can be of use. If you've gone through something and you're one step ahead of somebody else who's just starting that journey, you can share from your knowledge just there because every person is valuable. Every person has a story to tell. And every story has worth. Mm. It, if you're comfortable speaking about it, how, how did, what was that, the, the event in first grade that, that rape like? Because when you hear first grade and you, you think like five, six years old, uh, I didn't even know what rape was at that point. So if you're comfortable <laughs> speaking about it, could you uh, tell us a little bit more about that event? Yeah, and again, without getting into a lot of details, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are some aspects of it that I'm still coming to grips with now. Um, mm-hmm. My counselor mm-hmm. and I are working through. I can talk about it intellectually, but I'm mm-hmm. starting to have more of an emotional connection to it and mm-hmm. having to work through some of the things that were stolen from me that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was it, this is back in the 70s. It was normal for kids to walk to school. I lived maybe half mile, three quarters of a mile from, from school. I was walking home from the day, and Bobby, I won't share his last name, uh, but Bobby just basically enticed me, for lack of a better word, into the woods there on, on their own school property. And um, for 45 minutes, she held me against my will. And my mom came looking for me, as, an, as any mom would, because she was scared. Her daughter was coming home late from school, and there was no reason. But she was scared. She loved me enough to come looking, and, and I treasure that. And um, I heard her voice, and that was my excuse to get the heck out of Dodge. And I... I left the words in one direction, Bobby left the other, and the last words he said to me were, don't tell anybody. And I didn't realize the power those words were going to have in my life. Uh, but now I am telling people, so I've taken that power back. Uh, Bobby has no role in my life other than giving me power and strength and motivation to go out and help break the stigma against mental health issues, talk about sexual assault, and, and to help people realize it is not your fault. Um, that is when I first started talking about it in 2014 with my counselor, one of the homework assignments she gave me was 10 times a day for a week, looking myself in the mirror and saying the rape was not my fault. It wasn't good enough to say it was not my fault. I had to name it and say the rape was not my fault because I was blaming myself. I was blaming myself for being gullible. I should have known. Why did I do this? You know, why did I go in there? And, and I had to realize that childhood curiosity is normal. I did nothing wrong that day. Mm-hmm. Bobby is the perpetrator. Bobby did everything wrong that day. Mm-hmm. And, 
and I, I have corrected that situation by doing the hellacious hard work of healing and now sharing my story so that I can encourage someone else to take that first step and start their healing journey too. Amazing. And, and, and thank you for that. Thank you for being able to, to be vulnerable and be open and share your story in hopes that it helps somebody else. Um, and then another thing that I read as I was doing some, some research behind you is you also struggled with an eating disorder. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. And, and talking about eating disorders is how I first got started getting the speaking has branched out since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am in recovery from eating disorder. And what uh, it's kind of started in high school, but it really ramped up in college. And, and the way I describe it is, is, you know, when you start, when you start off, of course, what happened to me in the seventh, when I was seven years old was a life-defining moment. Mm-hmm. And it set me off on a wrong trajectory. So the further you are away from the front center, the longer you go, the further away you get. So because I didn't know what happened that day, and I didn't have the words, I never told anybody. And because of that, my emotions were frozen in time when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And when your emotions are frozen, the longer you're in the freezer, the thicker the ice gets. Mm-hmm. And by the time I got to high school and college, I couldn't tell you what I was feeling. I was angry all the time. I used to punch lockers and kick walls. I dented a, wall, a locker one time. I would always do it because I would do it with my, with my non-writing hand. I don't recommend any of this to anybody. I only share it to say that's how intense the emotions were. And I didn't know how else to get them out. Um, so over time, what started happening is that my mind was already warped and it just warped things out more where I started getting paranoid and I shut off my hunger. I, I In college in particular, it got to the point where I went to a small college in Northwest Ohio called Defiance College. Fantastic college. I absolutely love that place. Mm-hmm. And we had one, one dining hall and, and set mealtimes. And if you miss that window, you know, you, you, you miss the meal. Um, so I'd be there and I'd eat. But as my insecurity grew, um, my mind started telling me that if I was hungry, I wanted to go up and get a second helping. But I was afraid that everybody was looking at me and would know that I was hungry. So mm-hmm. instead of going up and get more food, which is normal and, and expected, I shut off my hunger, dumped my tray, and got out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And, and as I started to curb my hunger is where my eating disorder came in. And it got to the point, um, the way I describe it is that my numb activity was my numbing agent. Activity is what kept me from having to feel because if I was busy, I didn't have to think. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. Because mm-hmm. eating disorders are not about vanity. They are not about, um, um, they're not about diets. They're not, they're not anything about that. They are a biologically based mental health issue because mm-hmm. it has to do with how your brain is wired. And when you are um, not giving your body the proper nutrients it needs in the inner, inner intervals that it needs it, your brain chemistry changes. Mm-hmm. So over time, I was not thinking clearly. And that led to the depression and that led to the anxiety and that led to the suicidal thoughts and that led to the cutting because I had all these emotions that were frozen in time from when I was seven years old that I was shutting off. They were screaming to come out. And the only way I knew to come out was to slowly kill myself by not eating correctly. Um, so I started 
my, my counselor was on me about it a number of times. And there were there was one time my counselor was very concerned because I was losing weight. And mm-hmm. it was about coming about eight, eight months a year into when she and I were meeting were meetings. So all the emotions were starting to come up. And and my eating was taken again. And she looked at me and said, I think we need to be in treatment. She said, I'm talking either in inpatient or intensive outpatient. But she knew I needed need to work. And she said, I'm gonna give you one more chance. Show me you can gain weight. That was the last time we talked about it. Um, in 2016, my, my eating disorder behaviors were showing again. And, and, and that was part of you know, the healing process of everything I talk about in the book. And I actually took a year off from writing the book because all I had to do was deal with my emotions. And um, I had to learn to feel for the first time. And at that point in time, you know, some behaviors are starting to come up again. And she again brought up the, the issue of wanting to see a dietitian. And up to then, I'd been able to dodge it and sidestep it and convince her it wasn't needed. This time, she was not relenting. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad and thankful she didn't. Mm-hmm. I've been with a dietitian since 2016. Mm-hmm. And um, my homework with her the first week was just eat. When you're hungry, eat. I had to learn to let myself feel hungry. Mm-hmm. And some of this may sound really foreign to people. And to other people, they might be nodding their heads saying, exactly, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and as I let myself start to eat, then I started working on you know, on, on more balanced meal plans she and I had designed. And um, I remember clearly the day that I started realizing how clear my brain was. And I remember telling my counselor and my dietitian, I can't believe how clear my brain is because suddenly it was getting the nutrients it needed it was rewiring itself and it was able, it's kind of what they call a fog. The fog was clearing because it was getting what it needed. My body could start trusting me that I was going to take care of it because I was going to feed it. And, and, and I know some of this sounds really crazy and elementary and, and, and weird in some ways, but yeah. when you're in the depths of an eating disorder, it is mental hell. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, Eating disorders are about emotions not dealt with properly. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not about vanity. It's not about wanting to have, wanting to have you know, the Hollywood body or anything like that. They are mental health issues because it has to deal with emotions. And those emotions that aren't dealt with correctly find a way out in each person. Eating disorders are an addiction. The same way some people you know, turn to alcoholism or drugs, mm-hmm. eating disorders is another addiction. And again, it has to deal with undealt, you know, unresolved issues. Mm. So it's it's uh, it's been a journey, and yet I, I I love the opportunity to share and help break that stigma because there's so much misinformation and, and misunderstanding about the, about eating disorders. Wow, and and so it sounds like your your counselor. Thankfully, you were already speaking with the counselor at that time, uh, mm-hmm. and they played a. a a very big role in helping you break out of that cycle. What advice do you give to people who are struggling with an eating disorder who may not be going to a counselor yet? So, you know, they're not at that point where somebody who's licensed can give them that advice. What, what kind of advice do you give them to, to break the cycle? How do you get out of a, a eating disorder cycle like that? Because it, it sounds extremely mentally hard to do, not just physically mm-hmm. hard to get yourself back to eating. Like, just mentally hard to get back into that routine. So what advice do you give to someone who, who's not going to a counselor yet and doesn't have somebody like that to help guide them through this process? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. My mm-hmm. first thing would be that you cannot do it alone. 
that, that that's like an alcoholic trying to self-sponsor. My brother is in recovery from alcoholism. And, 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 and he even said, and he, he you know, relapsed at one point in time and he said, I'm doing this again. He's like, and I'm getting sponsored because self-sponsorship doesn't work. Um, you have to have that accountability. So the first step is reach out. One of the stories I tell in my book, um, and I share it when I speak, is uh, I worked at a sports camp in Colorado. And sports camp was in Missouri for five summers, a place called Handicap mm-hmm. Christian Sports Camp. In December 1990, they did a ski trip over New Year's out to Colorado. And I went out on the trip, and a Christian musician, a friend of mine named Billy Sprague, was there. Billy had been engaged and his fiance was killed in a car wreck on the way to surprise him at a concert. And he found oh. out right he found out right before he went on stage. He went neck deep in grief. He was suicidal at one point. We we reconnected on that ski trip and, and I told him, I said, I need to learn from something you've gone through. And we talked the last day, this was about close to an hour and a half. And I said, How do you go on living when all you want to do is die? That's when my parents were divorcing and I was imploding. I was I was imploding. And yeah, he's looked at me and said, what's up? We talked and he shared the story. When he was in the airports, he got to the point that he would just look at his, at his feet and think one step closer, one step closer, I'm one step closer. I can do this one step closer. And, and when we we're finished talking, he said, that's all I know to tell you, Sue, step by step. And he had me watch my feet going out to going out to uh, going down to the slopes. And if my first thought was, Gosh, it is a long journey and I am not going to make it. That was New Year's Day in 1991. And here I am in 2020 and I'm still here. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my encouragement to people is just take that next step. That's what my website, my, my, my website, my next step, my next step, my step ahead is all about. Mm-hmm. It's your next step. Mm-hmm. That next step is different for each person. Now, I've got a lot of resources on that, web, on that website where people can reach out. There's an organization called National Eating Eating Disorders Association. Mm-hmm. And that link is on the website. They have a screening tool. If someone is, is, is wondering if they might have an eating disorder, they can go on that website and have a screening tool. They have people that can connect you with an area resource. There are online communities where if you're not seeing the counselor, if you don't have, you're not sure where to go, you can even just connect via online. I volunteer with an online community called Beating Eating Disorders. It's an international organization where on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, and we're posting stuff every day, even just starting there and starting to see some encouragement and interact with people there um, mm-hmm. is a step. You know, it, it, yeah, it takes a lot of courage to pick up the phone. But when the day comes that you value yourself enough to take that step, it beats that fear. It's one step ahead of the fear. And for those that, for those who aren't yet, you know, at that point, I get it. I fully get it. It mm-hmm. scares the daylights out of you to reach out and be vulnerable. But it is the greatest act of self-love that anybody can do. And to realize that to trust yourself and to trust someone else to help you rediscover the wonder that is you, that you matter, that you have something to offer, you are not a waste of space. You are not a waste of time. You are not a waste of life. But mm. You have purpose. Mm. And, and mm. Your, your story your story is still being written. This is just one chapter of it. And that to take maybe that next step is just to just to reach out. 
you know, I would love it if people would go to my website, they can reach out to me. I would love to help them. I'll help get them connected. I'll listen to your story. I'll encourage you however I can. You can go to mystepahead.com. My email is right there. I have a speaker website because I'm a speaker. You can go to suebowles.com and they can you know, reach out to me there as well. Um, you know, if it's, you know, maybe get the book off Amazon, something in the book speaks to you. Whatever that next step is for you, take it. No one else can define your next step, but no one else can make you take it either. You ha it has to be yourself taking it and is the greatest act of loving yourself or trusting mm. that you still have something to offer. That's mm. what I my, 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 my advice. That was, that was beautifully said. Uh, thank you for that, Sue. And as you're going through counseling and all this, and you're slowly starting to realize that, you know, everything is interconnected from what happened to you uh, early on in your childhood to the eating disorder now, did you at any point start holding resentment and did you, do you still hold resentment towards, you know, Bobby or towards anybody else who may have caused you all of the, this, these problems? That's a great question. And for a while, the answer would have been yes. Um, mm -hmm. Now I can say no. Um, you know, as, as part of the healing process of having to deal with the rape, I had to deal with a lot of initial reactions that people had. And, um, I had to, I had to over time see it from the other angle. And it's not saying any of those emotions were wrong. It's just, I'm able to see it from a different perspective now. Mm -hmm. there, there, were, <clears throat> there, there were people I was highly angry with and bitter towards, um, at one point in time. And now I absolutely treasure them and I see it from a different angle. Um, and, and it's, it's because I'm able to work through that emotion because again, you know, when, when you have all those emotions frozen in time, it's easy to project them onto others uh -huh. and, 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 and to, to blame somebody else because you don't know where else to put it because you don't want to, you don't want to face it because to face it hurts too much. So it's a lot easier to, to blame somebody else because it takes the attention off of you. So for a while there, yeah, but I have forgiven Bobby. Um, it does not make it right mm -hmm. at all. Bobby was fully wrong, don't get me wrong. He was fully responsible and fully wrong with everything that happened. And it's fully his responsibility, 100% and nobody else's. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I don't get frustrated with it. I, I, I don't get angry. I, I, I'm to the point now where I've forgiven him. Um, Good for you. It doesn't, it, yeah, and, and that, that takes a long time. And it's mainly because it's not worth my energy. Mm -hmm. He is not worth my energy. Mm -hmm. I let him continue to control me and hold me against my will the longer I hold anger towards him. And the most freeing thing I could do for myself was forgive Bobby and move on with life and, and let let over time, let this healing process and, and the grace of God get me to the point of being able to speak about it so boldly now. It does not happen overnight. Don't anybody think this happened at snap of the finger. All you got to do is read the book and you will see how much it did not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my counselor, uh, I mean, we have had, I've been with her, April 5th is going to be 12 years I've been with her. It is not for the faint of heart, mm -hmm. but it is so worth it because as you do the hard work, but what I tell people is there's no way around healing. There's no way around the healing mountain. You have to go through it. 
but you mm-hmm. can't but you can go through it with other people because it's the only way you will get through it yeah having that strong network of people seems like it's super important and it'll it'll help the process move along so much faster uh, another quote in the book that i saw you said uh they were hurt people hurting kids can can you uh mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about what that quote means Sure. That was a quote from a retreat program I'm part of. Um, this whole book came into being because the, the healing work God did in my life through a retreat program I'm part of. It's called Walking Stick Retreats. They're on Facebook. Our next retreat is in June. Come join us in Indiana. Um, and the, it, a little backstory real quick. Um, there was a Christian musician named Rich Mullins. Uh, people who are familiar with, with Christian music, his, his big song was Awesome God. And um, he was killed in a car wreck in 1997. Well, in 2014, a movie producer in Hollywood and the family and friends of Rich um, did a movie based on Rich's life. And the movie came out in 2014. It was a very hard watch, very hard watch at, at the start because that's that, that was at the crux of when I was really starting to implode again. Um, so... Fast forward during that summer, the, the same people started talking about doing a retreat to continue the conversation about the movie themes, about masks, being authentic, um, the reckless love of God, living a life of reckless abandon, all those things, freedom. And um, at that retreat, the movie producer and director was there and he was one of the speakers. He's actually one that used that line. He was sharing his story when at one of the workshops. And, and he started, he started his, it with that phrase. And, and that really struck me. And, and it struck me because it helped me understand things in my story. My dad was raised in an orphanage from age 12 to 18 during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. My mom is, what, is the youngest of six girls, again, raised in the Depression. They went to a private academy, so they had the I have to be perfect thing going on. My mom and dad lost their firstborn son when he was two years old from heart and liver and bile and, and birth defect. And as I, and, and I as I have an emotional reaction here, I never say forgive me for crying. I say, please understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, this feelings are real. Yes. As I as I have understood the pain my parents went through, it un, it helps me understand why my dad turned to alcoholism. Why you know, there were things that happened. Uh, why my mom, um, you know, is it, is was was struggling with people's perception of the family. It helped me understand those things. It doesn't make it right, but it helped me understand. And I think when we can understand what it, what <clears throat> what is affecting and influencing someone else, it helps them helps us then understand that trickle down effect. Mm-hmm. So when I understand it, my dad, in the critical years of being a teenager, was in an orphanage. And when my mom and dad lost their firstborn son a few years into their marriage, and they were grieving. And it wasn't until probably 10 or 15 years after Rusty's death that my dad finally said, I think I finally let go of Rusty. I understand now. And it makes me love them even more because they are warriors. They have gone through more than you and I can ever understand. And they've turned the tide. My dad has been sober for 29 years now. Mm. I mean, how can you not be excited for that? So, you know, 
at that point in time when I was growing up, yeah, they were hurt people. And because of that, they were hurting their kids, not intentionally. The same way I didn't mean to hurt others through my behavior with my eating disorder, but I was. Hurt people hurt people intentionally or not. But again, as we understand the stories, it helps us give more grace and that then helps us heal as well. Wow, Sue. Well, everything that you've gone through has made you incredibly wise. Like, uh, and thank you for for sharing and you know for giving us your raw emotions right now because it's super important for anybody else who's who's dealing with things like this to see that they're not alone and to see that somebody like you who went through everything from an early childhood age that you went through can still speak about it and and empower others and move forward with her life and and take control again. So thank Mm -hmm. you for everything that you do. Can you tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you, where they can get your book, uh, your website, everything, just so anyone can connect with you. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, the Mm -hmm. book is on Amazon and Kindle. It's it's, it's called This Much I Know, The Space Between. Um, So I'd love for you to pick up a copy there. I also have two websites. One, the main one is mystepahead.com. You'll find a lot of resources. I have a blog on there where I just, again, the website started as just an eating disorder recovery encouragement page. It's branched out into anything else. Uh, One of my recent blog posts is about, about pet grief. I lost my pet the Sunday after Christmas. And I'm uh, just talking about how pet grief is very real because people tend to blow that off. It's like, no, it's not. It's no. not. Mm-mm. Not at all. Um, so definitely go to mystepahead.com. Uh, if you're interested in having me speak, I know right now a lot of in-person speaking can't happen, but we can do virtual virtual stuff through Zoom. Uh, you can go to suebowles.com. It's B-O-W-L-E-S.com. And you can uh, send me a message there as well. The other thing I do on Wednesdays, I have one I call Hump Day Help. And it's just a little text message I send out of encouragement. So if they want to text next step, it's all one word, next step, to 31996. Um, and then respond with your email address. Uh, as a thank you, I'll send you two free chapters in my book as well. Um, and then coming up in May, this next month, there is a global mental health summit. Uh, it's going to be through Life Mastery Institute, and I am speaking on it. I'm one of about 30 speakers, and I'd love for you to join that. Uh, if they, again, text text me, text at 31996, uh, then I can go ahead and get them that registration link for a discounted rate. And I'll be sharing in depth the, you know, what I call the inside life of an eating disorder and, and sharing about that more specifically and in more detail. And then, again, there's like... 30 speakers, so there's a wide gamut of people speaking for that. And since we're all stuck inside for a while, what better way to spend, spend some time? So, Oh, it's virtual? It's a virtual summit? Virtual summit, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great. And I, I hope all this coronavirus stuff ends soon because I know for a lot of people, social distancing is hard already when they are dealing with things and they can't get to their counselor or they can't just be around like a network of people that are positive and it's, it's social distancing. I know we have to do it, but we also have to remember the mental health effects that it has on people. So. Well, and, and let me say this real quick. I also have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at my step ahead. And I did a Facebook live last week at my step ahead Facebook page. And I really challenge people because I, I, I don't like the social distancing phase. We are social beings. We are created to be in community and fellowship with each other. Mm-hmm. Physical distancing. Yes. The social contact can still maintain. So I did like a five minute Facebook live. Go to My Step Ahead on Facebook and check it out. 
and, and, and here's some, some of the challenges I've put out there, ways you can still maintain social contact with that while still physically distancing. Um, and, and now a lot of counselors are able to do online counseling, uh, especially with, with the improvements of telehealth. Um, mm-hmm. A number of them are doing that. So you know, there's still opportunity, even if you want to reach out now and take that first step, don't let the, don't let the virus control you. Uh-huh. That's just another lie. If you are ready to take that step, don't let anything get in your way. And again, uh-huh. if I can do something to help you connect you with somebody, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm fully expecting a huge mental health repercussion after yeah. all, after this coronavirus is done. I'm actually in the process of becoming a certified life coach so that I can help in that process as well. And I should have that certification in May. So uh-huh. um you know, again, wanting, wanting, just wanting to be able to help out and, and, and be there for people. And the nice thing about being a CLC is I can do that online as well. So not a problem. Mm. you're going to be a great life coach and because of everything you've gone through and just your ability to, to become open and vulnerable and show your emotions. I've, I've spoken to life coaches before, but nobody has gotten as emotional as you have. And you can tell that these are real emotions and, and this is a real way of, of dealing with it and coping with it and taking back control for you. So I think you're going to do a great job and I hope people connect with you. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sue. All right. Thanks, Javier. Appreciate you. Thank you. Stay safe. Just you hit. too. A special thank you to everyone who supports the show and has shared the show with a friend and a loved one. A special thank you to our guest, Sue Bowles, for coming on the show. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, this doesn't seem like this, this COVID-19 pandemic is going to be ending anytime soon so everybody please try and stay safe stay indoors and support artists and musicians in any way that you possibly can follow the show on twitter instagram and facebook instagram and facebook is a pretty normal podcast twitter is pretty normal pod message me if you'd like to come on the show or if there's any topic you want me to cover my name is xavier diaz and this was a pretty normal podcast